1980s, basically, uh, 1980 through about 87. And there's this place east of Seattle um, called Snoqualmie Falls, and it used to be called the Snoqualmie Falls Lodge, and they've changed the name. I think it's the Salish Lodge at Snoqualmie Falls or something like that. But the amazing thing about going to this lodge is their breakfast. They have this enormous breakfast. And, and if you're familiar with, like, you know, hotels and resorts that have breakfast and, like, uh, you know, big buffets and things, I mean, it has everything you can imagine, right? I mean, eggs and oatmeal and cereal and pastries and, and juices and coffees and, and all kinds of things. And uh, normal places like that, you're going to go and go through a buffet and pick what you want. Well, they don't do it that way at this big breakfast at Snoqualmie Falls. You sit at the table and all those types of food, they just bring it to you. They don't say, do you want eggs? They say, how do you want your eggs? And they bring them and they bring you the oatmeal and, and the oatmeal is amazing. It's this really unique flavor. It's kind of nutty flavored. It's it's cooked perfectly, and they have all kinds of stuff you can put on it. You know, brown sugar and maple syrup, and and dried fruits and nuts and berries and all this kind of stuff, and cream, all the good stuff to make uh, oatmeal what it should be. In fact, we used to buy Snoqualmie Falls oatmeal at one of the stores up there, and you can actually buy it on Amazon now. And Snoqualmie Falls oatmeal, and it's the way oatmeal is supposed to be. And we actually have a little bit of a bag left in our, in our cupboard. And every once in a while we break out the Snoqualmie Falls oatmeal because it takes a little more time. All right? It's some old-fashioned way of making it, and, and they roast the, the groats, I think, but oats without the husk are called. They're called groats. That's a great name, isn't it? And, and there are all kinds of ways to have oatmeal, all kinds of forms of oatmeal. But this is one that's like long-cooking, old-fashioned oats. They're kind of thicker, and it takes, by the time you get the pan out and do the water and get it, it takes about 20 minutes to make, 20 whole minutes. But, but in our world, 20 minutes is too long. And so instead of just that kind of oatmeal, we tend to opt for other things if we want oatmeal because we like something a little more instant. So you can go and you go to the grocery store, and I've looked for oatmeal like this oatmeal, and it just doesn't exist in the grocery store. Instead, you get what they might call old-fashioned oats. Those take about five minutes. Or you can get the, the instant oats, which take about a minute and a half. Or you can go all out and get the little packets you tear open and just pour boiling water on it and stir it and go, mmm, oatmeal. It's baby food. It is not oatmeal. But we went through this process in our culture of saying 20 minutes is too long. I want something quicker. I want my yummy oatmeal now. And the same thing plays out in all kinds of other food items. I mean, and, and anybody, I'm not criticizing, maybe I am, I'm not criticizing parenting because I did this too with my children a little. We used to have orange lunch once in a while which meant you had little mandarin orange squares and little Cheez-Its and glow-in-the-dark orange macaroni and cheese from a box, right? And macaroni and cheese that we still make once in a while, or I remember my mom making was an amazing stuff, right? True macaroni and cheese that you got all the different kinds of cheeses and you made the right sauce and you mixed it together and you baked it and had this goopy, wonderful kind of caramelized top and it just made you feel good, right? But but that takes too long. So we get the little box, we boil the noodles for 10 minutes with salt, and then we take it out and we add margarine or butter and milk and the orange packet, right? Macaroni and cheese. But that takes too long too. Because then now we have Easy Mac, which is like stick it in the microwave, doo -doo 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 -doo, ooh, macaroni and cheese. I I'm a cook. We've talked about this before. So, so I like about cooking things. The same thing happens with mashed potatoes. How hard is it to make mashed potatoes? You peel the potatoes, you put them in the water, salted water, you bring it to a boil, you let them cook, you let them steam, then you, you know, milk, 
put in the butter and the salt and pepper and the, and the, uh, and the milk and fluff them up and they're yummy, right? But we have instant mashed potatoes, which aren't really potatoes at all. Or even now, again, I want old-fashioned mashed potatoes. So you have a little plastic container you can just microwave, right? We, we've moved as a culture to, to missing out on really good things because we want something now. And at this point, you're sitting there going, what does this have to do with anything? Well, we're going to find out. If you don't figure it out by the end, I'll tell you. All right? We're doing this study on the book of Mark, going from the beginning to the end of the book of Mark. And last week we had uh, what's often referred to as the parable of the sower, which we defined more likely as the parable of the soils, parable of the seeds. And, and Jesus had come on the scene, if you recall. And one of the things that, that we've noticed from the beginning of Mark, he just jumps right into the story. There was no announcement of Jesus' birth. There were no angels singing. There were no songs. There was no Mary and Joseph talk. It was just Jesus showed up and got baptized by John the Baptist and said he went to the desert to be tempted. And he came back and said, repent and believe the, the good news. And he, he started saying, follow me. And we're going to learn about this kingdom of God we're going to learn as we go along the way. And we've been getting these hints through these first few chapters of Mark that what Jesus meant by kingdom of God was completely different than what anybody who heard him thought it would be. And it's been a fascinating journey to look at it. And last week, we looked very closely at this parable. And just to remind ourselves today, when Jesus used a parable, and Mark's very clear that this point forward, Jesus taught in parables. And we first had to understand what a parable is not, right? A parable is not just an illustration. It's not just a story to help it make sense to people who are kind of slow on the uptake. They didn't get the, the tangible teaching, so I'll tell you a story, maybe you'll get it. That's, that's not what a parable is. A, a parable is actually indirect teaching that is the teaching itself. It, it, the, the parable is uh, proclaiming kingdom truth, but because it's indirect teaching and not propositional teaching, it requires a great deal of effort on our part to enter the world of the parable and really let it mess with us. That's what Jesus was doing as he interacted with people. He was upsetting the status quo of what they believed and what they thought. And by teaching parables, he made them really enter into something challenging. And so we're looking at a couple more parables today. And if you recall, it said that the parables, and, and it had this very challenging statement in the middle of it, that there were kind of insiders and outsiders in the kingdom, in understanding. And Jesus used this word about it's all done in parables, and the secret of the mystery of the kingdom is, is hidden from some. And we said, that doesn't make sense. And we discovered that the, the, the people who were outsiders, who it was hidden from, that it was a mystery from, and, and we understood this word mystery to mean something that is knowable, but only through a divine communication from God. That's the only way to know something. And, and Jesus is standing before these people saying, I, I'm that divine revelation. I am that mystery of the kingdom. And there were some who got it and some who didn't. And the ones who got it were the ones who went and asked for help, asked for clarification. It was the disciples and the others who were following him that said, tell us more. But others heard and saw the same things and turned their back on it. And we know that Jesus desires that outsiders would become insiders. So, so that's a brief catch-up to where we are. And then it says now, starting in uh, chapter 4, verse 20, 21, it says, he said to them, do you bring in a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? 
Instead, don't you put it on its stand, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out in the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. We heard that same phrase a bunch last week. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Right off the bat in these stories, we see almost a recapping of some things we learned last week. This, this statement about, do you bring in a lamp to put under a bowl or a bed? No, don't you put it on the stand for what is hidden is meant to be disclosed. And we saw that last week was Jesus was saying that the kingdom is here and he's basically saying, I am the king, but some people don't see it. And so no matter what they see, no matter what they hear, no matter what miracles happen, they go, eh, I don't believe it. And when it talks about that idea of the mystery of the kingdom, it wasn't so that it would be hidden from some people and revealed to others. It had to be made known, but some are going to turn their back on it. It's the same thing here. In fact, interesting language in the Greek language going on here. Uh, It says here, do you bring in a lamp and put it under a bowl? Literally, it says, when the lamp comes, which is a very weird statement, when the lamp comes. And you can almost see that after the fact as Jesus calling himself the light. Not everybody gets it, but the light is not here to be concealed. The light is to shine, but, but some are going to turn away from it. Let him who has ears hear. And then it said, consider carefully what you hear, right? With the, with the measure you use, and this is a very interesting phrase. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And we, we think about that culture again. If you were buying grain, you might go to, to somebody in the marketplace, and they didn't have standard measurements. But the person might have, you know, various sizes of jugs or things, and they would, they would scoop out some, right, and give it to you. And, you know, I want one of those. And, and people are known to be either uh, honest and in, have integrity in their dealings or not. And some people might choose to take out a few of those grains and keep them back and pour and say that it's a full measure, They were being deceitful in the process. This is a really challenging statement because what it really is saying is that when it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to understanding the things of God, which we learned last week, those who seek are going to learn, right? It's all a mystery unless your people say, Jesus, tell me more. I think it's talking about the same kind of thing here. And it's saying in spiritual things, in understanding the kingdom of God, the rich will get richer and the poor will get poorer. In other words, those that want to know are going to learn more, which will lead to them grasping more. Those who turn their back on it are going to have nothing. This is a statement about maturity. Now, one of the things we have to grasp in this passage again, and we've hinted at it over the last few weeks, is that when Jesus came and is saying the kingdom of God is near, 
The, the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom is changing, and I am the king. And we've talked about this idea of repentance, right? Repentance is literally turning from your old ways, turning from old commitments and old expectations and old outcomes and, and old views of God and turning and following the new one that Jesus is giving us, new expectations, new allegiances, new agendas, new commitments. So when you turn to those, everything changes, and we talked before that, that everybody Jesus was interacting with had a view of the kingdom of God. They had an understanding that God rules and reigns. And their hope was absolutely built on the fact that someday God is going to make things right for them. They were God's chosen people. And someday he's going to come. Someday the Messiah will come. Someday the ruler will come who will put us back into our rightful place. Right? They were waiting for something big. When the Messiah comes, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who will reign forever, live forever, he's going to come and it's going to be wow. That was their vision of the kingdom. It was big. It was glorious. And we will be established where we're supposed to be forever. And we could go, amen. And Jesus says, you know that kingdom you're talking about? It's like a light. It's like a measuring like a seed. Huh? What? We, no, it's big. It's huge. Well, everyone will see because he's marching into town. He's going to conquer with power and we will be restored. It's like a mustard seed. Huh? That's the world. That's the shattering that Jesus was doing of their worldview, of everything they thought and knew about the kingdom and about God. And Jesus says, mm, it's not really what you think it is. And the story goes on. He says, this is what the kingdom of like. A man scatters seed in the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he doesn't know how. But, 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 but somehow the soil produces and the seed grows and it has leaves and stalk and, and then the grain and then it's harvested. Because harvest has come. And we look at that passage and that little bit of that parable and we go, you know, if I'm looking at this, it's, it's saying to us, even though the farmer doesn't know how that seed works, the farmer still has responsibility, right? He sows the seed and if we're looking at farmers, he also waters it and fertilizes it, makes sure the soil is as good as it can be. That person, we, as people who follow Christ, ha have responsibilities. There are things God expects us to do, but then there are some things that only God can do. And we can't mess up that line. And I think a lot of times we flip it around, where we want God to do the things in our lives that he says, no, that, that's your responsibility. You need somebody to sow that seed, you need somebody to plant it. You, you can't make it grow, but you do your part. And we flip it around and say we want God to do the things that he expects us to do. But we also have incredible expectations for God to do things the way we think they should be. It's almost like turning the old Bible tract around. I love God and I have a wonderful plan for his life. Because oftentimes that's how we actually live. I put my expectations for who this king is, who this God is, because he's supposed to be big and glorious and enter in in a mighty way. He's supposed to be that way. And so I want him to do things for me the way I want him to do things for me. God, I've done so much for you. You need to hold up your end of the bargain. And Jesus says, that's not really the kingdom. The kingdom's like a seed. 
And he goes, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? What parable to describe? Well, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And what we really need to get in our minds right now is Jesus is not saying the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. He's saying the kingdom of God is like what happens to the mustard seed. The mustard seed, not literally the smallest seed, but in a story, it's the smallest seed, and it grows into the largest garden plant. Mustard is an annual. We grow mustard in our yard because people like the seeds and they like the leaves, the greens. We get to plant it every year. Grows from something tiny and insignificant into something pretty amazing, literally a shrub that's probably six to ten feet. There's a shrub in the garden. Not the biggest tree in the woods, but the biggest plant in the garden. And what Jesus is saying is the kingdom that you want to be big because your expectations of how God is supposed to work in the world are not the way God works in the world. He's like a seed. It's like the mustard seed that grows and you can't see anything happening, but there's something happening. There's something amazing happening and someday that will pop up. And it will become something amazing that you would have never imagined from that little thing. So when Jesus comes and starts messing with their view of the kingdom, messing with their vision they had created of what God is supposed to be like and how he's supposed to work in the world and what he's supposed to do in their lives, they had it all figured out. And Jesus says, that's not it. The kingdom of God is like a measuring cup. It's like a seed. It's like a little light that needs to shine. But someday there'll be something different. Someday it'll be something you can't even imagine because what God is like is beyond your imagination and what he's doing and what he will do and what the culmination will be is beyond anything you can comprehend. But right now I want you to trust me. It's at work. And I would dare to say that in most of our life we're, we're waiting for the big thing. But remember when Jesus came on the scene, he did the big things in, in this small part of the world. He did the huge things. He, he fed multitudes of people. He healed people. He cast out demons. He, 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 he walked on water. He fed multitudes. He did all kinds of amazing things. He raised people from the dead. And still, some people went, meh. Jesus says the real kingdom and the real change and the way God really works is more like that little seed. Things are going on under the ground that you can't see, but at some point, the end of time, it's going to burst out in all of its glory and the amazing words that we sung in some of these songs will absolutely be clear and absolutely ring true. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and we want it to happen now. And Jesus says, be patient. Things are happening in ways you can't see. Do you trust me? You see, our default position so often is to look and hope that God will do the thing that will make himself so evident to people that they can't help but worship. And it'll change the earth and change the world and change all of humanity right now. And, and we look at experiences in our history and think, well, that, that should have happened then. I remember preaching that first Sunday after 9-11. I mean, that was devastating. We looked and said, look what happened to our country. Surely this will be the time when people will turn to God. And there will be a revival in our land unlike anything we've seen. And I remember talking to my other pastor friends and we were saying, you know, this is going to be a boom in church attendance for about three months. 
that was about it. Because we said, God, this would be an opportune time for God to do something amazing. And it didn't happen the way we thought it would. And we could even look at situations like just a week ago in Orlando. And we go, really? When are we going to wake up to things and recognize God as who he is? Maybe this will be a thing. Probably won't. But do we trust God? Do we trust Jesus, what he said, that the kingdom of God is like this mustard seed and what happens to it is it's under the ground and things are happening and roots are going down and things are changing, but you can't see it in its fullness yet. There are lots of things to see. There are lots of things to see that God is doing in our lives and in the world, but you have to have ears to hear and eyes to see that those things are happening and there are things we will never grasp. I think these kind of stories, these parables Jesus gave, which, once again, parables are kingdom truth. They aren't just illustrations to make a point. They are the truth. And when he says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, what happens to the mustard seed, this tiny little thing, it flies in the face of our expectations. Because if I were writing this story to talk about how I think God should be, I would think about like those huge redwoods on the West Coast. You know, like 30 foot across trees, right? And 300 feet tall and hundreds of years old. The kingdom of God is like the mighty redwood. Ah. And Jesus says, yeah, you're wrong. Because that's, mighty, that's the mightiest plant, right? That's the one that has glory. That's the one people, they come from all over the world to visit it. But, but Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, a tiny little seed that grows into a shrub. A shrub is still a shrub. And we say, huh? That's not what I signed up for. I signed up for glory. And this is where we have to let the parables of Jesus mess with us. The kingdom of God truly in its final form when everything is made to right and Jesus returns and we have the new heavens and the new earth, it will be more than any redwood we can imagine. But right now, the only way we can grasp it and say, I trust Jesus because something is happening. God is at work in the world in ways I cannot see. And do I accept that? Do I trust that? Do I welcome that into my life and say, I want to be a part of it? If I were to summarize this passage today, it would be, I think, in a kind of challenging way where we'd say those who have access to the truth and ignore it have everything to lose. But those who risk faith in what is now hidden has everything to gain. Those who have access to the truth and ignore it have everything to lose, but those who risk faith in what is now hidden have everything to gain. Can, can you trust a kingdom that seems hidden? Can you see with spiritual eyes things that God is up to and, and, and be okay that you don't know the whole story? Can we take faith risks to seek the God, the King, the one who rules and reigns over everything and say, I may not understand it. If I were God, I would do it a different way. And Jesus said, it's a good thing you're not God. 
Because this is what the kingdom of God is like. And when Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like, it's like a light. It's like a measuring cup. It's like a seed. We should get to the place and say, I don't want it to be a giant redwood. I want the kingdom to be what Jesus says it is. And that means I'm willing to take faith risks to enter into it. I'm not going to look at what Jesus says and expect something else. I'm going to look and say, this is best. This is what the kingdom of God is like. And that's what I want. Do that? that? That shatters our thoughts. Because I know there are times every day when I say, God, this would be a good time for you to do this thing that, that I think you should do. I've done a lot for you. You hear me? I want it big. I want it glorious. I want it recognizable by everyone around. And Jesus says, the kingdom's like a mustard seed. You might not see it working, but trust me, it's amazing. Let's pray.